couple thousand years is that whoever is leading the service says he is risen and it, and everyone responds he is risen indeed so let's try it together I mean that was good I like the scattered effect the echo but let's try this he is risen on Good Friday, we celebrated a kind of a solemn, it's a solemn moment. Of course, we knew the end of the story, and sometimes you have to pretend to be solemn. You know what I mean? You know what's coming. As the old preacher said, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming, and Sunday's here. This is the reason we do what we do. We get to celebrate it in, in total on this morning. Everything is focused on a risen Savior. If you could imagine the disciples on that first, on the resurrection morning, when everything it looked like that they had put their entire hopes, they had suspended their lives for this Jesus who everyone was pointing at as being the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. And suddenly it appeared as though that door had completely closed. As the sun was setting on Friday, they'd taken Jesus' body from the cross. Joseph of Arimathea had gone to Pilate and begged it. He'd taken it and wrapped it quickly because there was very little time left. The sun was setting and the Sabbath was about to begin and it was the Passover Sabbath special Sabbath. The religious leaders had accomplished what they needed to do and now they needed to focus. That Saturday that was in silence for the disciples, no telling what they did. I doubt that they went down to the temple to worship. But all of the things that went on on that day in the temple compound and the priests and, and the incense and sacrifice and all the things that took place, they were huddled together in secrecy and in quiet and in fear. And during that time, the, our Savior, the scripture tells us, was collecting the souls of eternity. Paul tells us later that he descended into hell to take captivity captive. And then as the sun came up the next morning and the Sabbath, and the Sabbath had ended the evening before, and it was the women, always the women, first to the tomb at first light, and they found the stone rolled away. And when they stepped in, it was empty. The body was gone. And they thought exactly what you would have thought. They've taken him away. But how many of you know this morning, nobody took him away? The, the stone was rolled away, not so he could get out. The stone was rolled away so we could get in and see that in fact, he had risen, he had risen indeed. And so this morning we invite you into the world of a risen Savior. 
not of a Savior that's going to rise, but of a Savior that has been uh, alive and been among us and remains among us, we celebrate this morning. And so worship with us and join with us as we sing of the resurrection and sing of the life that we now have in Christ. Let's stand. All right, lots to do. We're glad you're here this morning and uh, to celebrate with us in the resurrection. I do have a short video I wanna show you one more. This does not have Cliff and Naomi in it, but it's still pretty good. Resurrection changes everything. Changes everything. I want to read uh, Luke's version of that morning because the, all four of the Gospels have, have a version and they all vary just a little bit in emphasis in the way that, that it's looking at it, the point that they're trying to make. But I want to read Luke's this morning. It says, Now on the first day of the week, every, very early in the morning, they, that is these women that had followed that on Friday had followed them to see where the body was going to be put. These same women returned, and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed with this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he, you were still, when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told them these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. 
But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Pretty amazing story. Pretty amazing story. Why does the resurrection change everything? What's, the, what's behind this? So I was thinking about this, and of course thinking about this morning, I thought this morning that we celebrate and, and all this encounter, and there's more besides this, the story of the two guys on the road to Emmaus, the, the story of Jesus coming into their midst and behind closed doors of showing himself to Peter, and all of those encounters, everything was shifting on its axis. Everything was changing, and I began to realize that on this morning it began to ask this, answer this really vital question, what is God like? What is God really like? We begin to see it on this morning. We think we knew, but in the resurrection it begins to come. So what, what is he like? See, we, as in this morning where we again visit this empty tomb, we, we sense the delight of Creator God. We sense him opening heaven. We talked Friday night about how God not only reconciled man with himself, but he reconciled something in himself. This balance between his holiness and his love. There are those that are going to see him in his holiness someday and very much regret that they never took advantage of his love. Because the two stay, they keep things in balance. And in Jesus and in the death on the cross, God reconciled himself to mankind and mankind to him. See, this is, this is what happened. The door of eternity was unbolted. It was thrown wide and the barriers were demolished. And there was an invitation that was offered to every man and woman to come inside. So now the Father, we stand here on this morning, with the Father with his arms open wide, if you, if you can imagine that, that this is what we celebrate now in the resurrection, that every barrier that ever stood between man and God has been erased in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. There is no barrier other than the one you yourself maintain and keep in place. God has done everything else to see to it that, that the gap has been bridged, the walls have been torn down. The fog has been blown away. And God is showing who he really is to us in the resurrection. There is no doubt about it. He is ready to receive his beloved creation into the kingdom of his dear son. So based on the resurrection, what is he really like? Well, number one, if you're following on the notes, these are in your notes. God is good. Have you ever had that wonderful moment, I don't know what's so satisfying about this, where you got to tell somebody else, I told you so. Now I know this probably never happens in your house, you know, but that moment when you know you were right, when you know that what you predicted has come to pass and you just can't stand by quietly and you have to say, I told you so. The only thing that's the, the polar opposite of that is when somebody tells you, I told you so. You know, you know what I mean? It does something to me when I thought I was right. See, this something is really amazing in, in all this thing in the resurrection. Jesus had been telling them for quite a while 
that he was going to be crucified, was going to be buried, and was going to rise again the third day. He had given them that information, but that information never lodged with them. In that reading that we did in Luke, how surprised they were when they had to be reminded of something he told them. He told them again and again. They had not anticipated because simply they had no reference point for what was about to happen. Those women that went to the tomb on that day with all of those spices, they didn't go there to verify his resurrection, did they? They went there to put those spices on his dead body. They expected things to be the exact same way as they were when they had left him several days before. They thought it was all going to be the same. And what they found at the grave both filled them with wonder and filled them with terror. They absolutely had no place of connection. Now here's where I think God is good. And we start the way, we start thinking about the way that he presented himself. Imagine how might God have presented Jesus back to the world in his resurrected form. Think of the possibilities. What would have happened if he would have shown up first in Caiaphas's bedroom? Remember Caiaphas, the high priest that was kind of driving this whole thing? What would have happened if, if in the morning, Pilate's brushing his teeth in the mirror, and he looks over his shoulder, and there's Jesus? How many of you know that might be a real heart stopper? You know, that, that might have been a story. Or if he, would have, if he would have come to Peter and just suddenly appeared in front of Peter and said, I told you so, Peter. But instead, how did he do it? He made the first announcement through a couple of angels. Didn't even make the announcement himself. Because he knew this was a heart stopper. He knew the world was changing. He knew the goodness of God was about to flow in a way that the world had never known and it would never stop from that point on. And so how did he reveal himself? In the beginning, Mary never even recognized him. And he sort of eased her into it, didn't he? On the road to Emmaus, he eased them into this story. He eased them into this place of saying who he was. In fact, he showed up. He ate with them. He prayed with them, let them get used to the sound of his voice again so that they might understand this was not a disembodied spirit, that it was his ghost that had come back, but it was in fact Jesus risen from the dead. And in God's goodness, he just began to ease himself back into their lives because in that 40 days from the time of his resurrection to the time of his ascension, there was some real significant work had to be done. And he needed their full attention. Isn't it wonderful? Aren't you glad that in God's goodness, he does the very same thing to you? How many of you have ever stopped to think what it would be like if God revealed himself in all of his glory while you're brushing your teeth in the morning and you look over your... The Bible basically says you couldn't take it. 
Any time you have ever seen, every, every time the scriptures report these encounters, these one-on-one encounters with, um, with Jesus or with, with the Father, the people with whom he has the encounter don't stand there and say, glory to God, aren't we having a wonderful time in Jesus? Uh, what do they do? They end up on their faces repenting, crying out because not only did they see him for the first time, they really saw themselves. If God was to reveal himself in the fullness and what he really is, you and I would not survive the encounter. But God is good. And everything about him is good. In these encounters, he was being good and saying the world has changed. I will be to you whom you need me to be. As I said earlier, in, in Matthew's account of the resurrection, it tells us that at, the, at the, the last moments before the sun comes up, an angel comes and he rolls away the stone. And he does it not, as we said, to let Jesus out. Jesus already passed through the grave clothes, gone through the, gone through the solid wall. It was no problem. He was risen in a bodily form, but it was not the same body he'd had. But the angel rolled back the stone because we needed to be able to look inside and see it was empty. We. Nobody was, was the witnesses and what they, they did see. The guards that were there, the Roman guards, fainted. They passed out in just the implication of what was beginning in, in the garden. So God is good. This is what he had told them, Matthew 11. He had said to them, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Aren't you glad God does this as he see fits and as you are capable of seeing him? How many of you know him better than you used to know him? I, uh, I'm, I'm about to start 41 years, my 41st year. And every now and then I will remember a sermon that I preached, say, 35 years ago, 40 years, or 30 years ago. And I cringe. It, it's an embarrassment. And I hope that all copies of any tapes or notes have long since been lost. Because I know him better now. And I can speak with more confidence about who he is. My relationship with him has given me something now that when I, when I speak or when I think or when I study, I begin to see this God who is, who, who, whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. And he's the one I serve. God is good. What's God really like? Well, he's obviously powerful. This is in my notes, but not in yours. I wrote down, death gets housebroken. See, we discover in the resurrection that death was meaningless and still is meaningless to Jesus. See, at the cross, mankind and the devil gave it their best shot, didn't they? 
the thing that they, they employed the most potent weapon that had been in their arsenal, and it looked like for a while that they had been successful, but how many of you know Jesus walked away from it? He walked away from it with death on a leash, and he was in total control. What he had accomplished at, at Calvary and then what he had uh, impacted us with at the resurrection had proven that the thing of which mankind is the, is the most fearful, the thing that feels to us like the last curtain call is no last curtain call at all. See, those people that had loved him the most and that had the most to gain and the most to lose when Jesus was crucified, does everyone understand that on that Saturday, that, that Sabbath day of silence, the Bible tells us nothing about it. These guys were in hiding. Everything had changed. It looked like everything was changing, and then in a day, everything changed. But how many of you know that in one more day, everything would change permanently and forever? And the, and the Jesus that would walk out of there was the one who now was in total control of even the greatest threat to mankind. The thing that we had feared the most. So Jesus understanding all of this confusion and these whirlwind emotions and this uncertainty, as he began showing himself to these people, he began to let them understand that he was in total, he was in total control. This triumph of Jesus has became the stepping stone, stepping stone into, into his everlasting presence, both in this world and into the next. Death becomes nothing more than the point of departure. It, it becomes nothing more than the place we leap off into what our final destiny is going to look like. The reason he visits us now, the reason we can know his presence is so that, that we might know that, that eternity is in fact not something that's just then beyond death, but it's something that we are already walking in now. Eternity began for you the day that you received Jesus into your heart. The moment you said, I believe this story. See, and, and the power exerted at Calvary would become the standard by which everything else was going to be met. And this week, we're going we're to start just teaching whoever wants to come to pray for the sick. You don't even have to be a part of the church. I just want you to know how to pray and not have to wait for somebody else to come and do it and have this confidence that we have a God who's, who is capable of bringing wholeness in impossible situations. He's taken care of death. He can take care of whatever it is you end up confronting. Paul would write this in Romans 8, 11, But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That same presence that, that, that caused Jesus to be not just reanimated, but, but to come back into life. That same power, what, he, what Paul is saying is, if he dwells in you, and in how many of you does he dwell in? If that same spirit dwells in you, that spirit of God, there's only one. 
It's that same spirit. Then there is a quickening, a bringing to life that comes because he is there. He's powerful. And on that morning they saw, what's God really like? Well, God is at hand. He's available. Imagine if you got on your knees some morning and you're praying and you, and you hear this. Thank you for calling your father's house. All lines are currently busy, but please select one of the following four options. Press one for requests. Press two for thanksgiving. Press three for complaints. Press four for all other inquiries. Your call is important to us, but the angels are presently helping other seekers. Please stay on your knees and your call will be answered in the order that it was received. There are 38,374,221 ahead of you, but thank you for your patience and have a nice day. How many of you are thankful that you're never going to hear that? You're never going to hear that because God is present and accounted for. He was available. He was at hand. Do you remember Jesus' message? Repent. The first message that he preached. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is what? At hand. It's arrived. It's here. In his resurrection, do you understand it's even more at hand than it was when Jesus said it was at hand? Because now in the presence of the Holy Spirit, he would be here. Jesus' resurrection secured his availability for all eternity, and eternity begins now. God has always been available. He's always been near. But now, the message is we have his undivided attention. Time and space are not limited to him. Because now he's present in the, as the Holy Spirit, God in fact, God on board, God in the moment, God in availability. He is here. See, God never intended from the very beginning. He never intended us to be separate from him. In the very beginning, he created us with the equipment to have communication and relationship with him. Can you kind of think of a, all that Whatever you need, whatever you're going to need to receive and to, and to send, everything was built into mankind at that moment because God meant for us to be in constant and significant conversation with him, and we were the ones that messed it up. That equipment is still there. We're the ones who wandered away. Wandered away. And we only sought God when we got desperate. See, something has happened. That has changed. In Christ, all of that equipment has been rejuvenated. It's been made alive again with me. And he has the intention of bringing every one of his children into significant relationship with him. He never, ever intends to be separate from you again. That's the resurrection. By his Holy Spirit's presence, he is always there. Jesus had already told the disciples in Matthew 7, Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Why could he say that? Why not the busy signal on the other end of the line? 
Because Jesus knew what was coming. That the moment would arrive when our knocking would really mean something. Our seeking would really bring about finding. That, that our asking would really bring answers because he knew how available and how immediate he was going to become because of the death and his resurrection. That's true because of the resurrection. I can ask, I can seek, I can knock, and I can believe for a response. What's God like? God's in control. See, this kangaroo court that Jesus had gone through, this these threatened religious leader, this curious but self-serving Herod, a powerful governor and all of his cohorts, this mocking throng, the soldiers' whips, the nails of the executioner, all of those things were telling the story of some kind of an out-of-control conclusion in Jesus' life. But it wasn't out of control. It wasn't out of control at all. In fact, God was in complete charge of every event, every lie that was being told, every persecutor. He was, he was in control. Jesus just submitted to it. And in his submission, he overruled them. How many of you remember what Jesus told Pilate when Jesus, or when Pilate said to him, don't you know what I can do to you? Why are you, why are you not defending yourself? Don't you know? Remember what Jesus said? What did he say? He said, you have no authority except the authority my Father's given you. What he's saying is, Pilate, this isn't as out of control as you think it is. I am in total charge here. The fact that I submit myself to what has to happen does not mean this thing has spun out of control. What it means is it is exactly where it needs to be. But in the resurrection, does everyone understand? Does everyone understand that Jesus finally took total control of this chaotic world. He would now be the rightful owner and the rightful director of all of history. He would now become the rightful owner and the, the rightful director of my life. Jesus is king. He will never ever be anything other than king. There will not be an election. There will not be an insurrection. There will not be a challenge to his authority. In the resurrection, the best that the world and the devil could offer was beaten once and for all, and we stand now in the complete revival and restoration of our souls because that is a fact. God is in absolute control, and he's in absolute control in your life. How many of you feel like sometimes it's spun out? Like, like you're not getting any traction. There's, there's, there's nothing. And Linda and I went, did some shopping. And as we're pulling out of the parking lot, a noise in the steering of my old pickup truck that I keep around because it's paid for. But I've never had a moment's trouble with it. Started making a noise it, it is not supposed to make. And as I fiddled with it and poked at it and checked the power steering and did all of that kind of stuff, this sort of helplessness comes over you like, I'm a long ways from home. How am I going to get this thing home? And as Linda's reminding me of the AAA, AAA card in my back pocket, fortunately it was in my back pocket, and uh, I was able to call and we got the thing taken care of. But you get that feeling that, that you know, man, God, didn't you know this was going to happen? Could this happen as I was pulling out of my driveway? Do I have to be 
You know, I have to be in another neighborhood and someplace else for this to go out. And, you know, there's that feeling that instantly you find yourself stepping away from the security. The security of when everything goes good and the car starts and I don't think a thing about it and it doesn't make that noise that it's, it's not supposed to make. And I think God is in, he- is in his heaven. But what about when it does make the noise? What about when things don't go right? What about when it falls? Does everyone understand nothing in the heavenlies has changed because you are in discomfort? In fact, you probably are going to find out he is more in control in those moments than you do when all is roses. This is what Paul wrote in, in, uh, further in, in Romans 8, starting with verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? This is on our back wall. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also what? Risen who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword or a steering wheel making funny noises? As it is written, for your sake we're killed all the day. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter, yet... In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come can separate us from the love of Christ. We have one more should have. Is that it? No, we're good. Who will separate us? Sorry. From, separated from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There you go. That's the end of it. So, what is God really like? Well, ultimately, in the end of this, He is the promise keeper. Everything that Jesus had said was now possible. All the promises He had made to His disciples, it looked like life was good and getting better. Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven and talked about man's, uh, uh, man's reconciliation with God and the people were listening and absorbing those who wanted, that wanted the Father's presence in their life. All those people that had begun to bank on Jesus' words, words like, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm your peace. I will be your peace. When he, when he offered healing. See, the kingdom of heaven for them looked like this. He would, talk about, he, he would talk about the kingdom of God and then there would be healing. There, there would be physical healing. There would be deliverance from evil spirits. There was justice coming for the poor and the disenfranchised. There was peace. There was provision. There was freedom from bondages of all kinds. It was kind of interesting reading in the book of Acts this week as I, I noticed something, you know, that as the church was assembling and, and more and more were being added to it, that there was a large number of poor were, were showing up at their doorstep. Not because, just because there was a, there was a handout for them, 
but because for the first time in history, they had, there was a society, there was a community in which they had as much say and had as much love and had as much concern as, as anybody else. Because the body of Christ mixed the rich and the poor. It was mixing men and women. It was mixing the young and the old. It was mixing the, the, the uneducated and the educated. All this was beginning to happen in the church, and the church was beginning to take care of the poor. But for the first time, the poor, the disenfranchised, the disconnected had a voice. And so the poor were attracted. There was justice coming because of what Jesus did. This is the story that was being told by Jesus' ministry, but when his death came, it seemed like all that went out the window. It was all just wishful thinking, but in the resurrection, the, king, the kingdom of God meant that heaven and earth has a new connection and a new unity. God had become man had one mankind back, had risen from the dead, and had ascended to be seated at the right hand of the Father. We have, as we read, a constant advocate in heaven. We are, in fact, seated with that advocate in a place of exaltation and of honor. That's what, that's what Paul wrote to the church in, in Ephesus. That advocate has brought me to a place of safety and security. I am no longer at the mercy of whim and of fortune his promises now inform my future as well as informing my past. God has promised his life to me, and he has kept that promise. In the resurrection, in that morning, all promises were restored. Everything was back in place. In fact, there was a lot more to come they had no idea of. God was in the building. John 10 Jesus had told them this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life. That's what we're talking about. And they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Everything that the Father had promised through Jesus, Jesus is saying, my sheep are going to know the benefit of it all. They're, they are going to know his voice. Up the road a little bit. We'll talk a little bit about this this week as we talk about praying for the sick, about how do you hear God's voice. You know, you'll never really hear his voice until you understand, first of all, you have the right to hear his voice. And then you believe he really is talking and he's talking to you that he has something to say to you. He doesn't just talk to Pastor Tom and a couple of others select to this church. There's this moment in time where you begin to realize God has given this to the body of Christ. It all becomes true because he lives. Ask the worship team to come back. He's all of these things. Jesus would tell, had told Nicodemus fairly early in the ministry, he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's what we're talking about this morning. Everlasting is not just forever. It's the quality of the life into which we've been introduced. It's God's life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That is what we're doing here. God is good.
God is powerful. God is at hand. God is in control. God is the promise keeper. And all of that is yours. Now we're going to stand and worship that we end this. This morning is also a morning we take, uh, that we take communion. And we want to invite you. If you're a visitor, we want to invite you. As part of the family, our kids are going to be coming in here in just a moment. We want them to take communion with us, the young people and our children, on this Easter Sunday morning. You have a lot to celebrate. In fact, maybe you have more to celebrate than you knew more than you knew when you came in the building this morning. Your God is here. He lives. He lives. Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives. And everything changes because of the resurrection. You have access. You have voice. You have privilege. You have responsibility. You have recognition. You have the voice and presence of God in your life because He has risen from the dead. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things, things present or things to come nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of the resurrection, as Paul said, I too am persuaded. All my life, it seemed to have this one emphasis he is alive. He has never let me down. He has never failed to be there. He has never failed to answer the prayer. Our God lives. If you need ministry this morning, if you need prayer, if you need a touch from God from any source, any place, any challenge, if you're not sure that you're persuaded, Come and get prayer, have ministry. There's people here who would love nothing more than to spend a little bit of time with you, praying and, and bringing the presence of God real into your life. If you're here this morning and you've never taken full advantage of, of this death and resurrection that was for you, I'm gonna close with a simple little prayer and then I'll pray, I'll finish after that this simple prayer of acceptance and I want you just to pray it's it's the words are not magic what goes on in your heart between you and God that's where the life comes and if you want him in your life we can't neglect such a great salvation you can't ignore such a great Savior you can't ignore the resurrection. Jesus is alive. So I'm going to pray for anyone just to receive him or to rededicate what may have seemed to be lost. Your God has gone nowhere. He's still here. He's waiting. He's part of your life. So pray with me. Lord Jesus, 
Today I acknowledge your death and resurrection. It was for me. So I ask you, Lord, to restore me. Come in fullness into my life. Lord, I want to know you. I want to be persuaded that none of these things can separate me from your great love. Thank you for your resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Lord, seal us with the confidence of a people who have been born again. A new life lives in us, present by the Holy Spirit, present in me and present in all of these because you live, Lord, we live. Lord, because eternity is secure, my future, Lord, is a lot more secure than I, than I think it is. Lord, my past is taken care of. Today is in your hands. Lord, tomorrow is already established because you already live in tomorrow. We bless you, Lord, and thank you for the goodness that was shown and released to us, Lord, at your death and resurrection. We thank you again, Lord, for this Easter Sunday. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.